Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is phenomenal. We're going to talk about explaining loan pricing to loan officers, what works and what doesn't. And I have the best expert for this. And uh, This is Deb Jones, who is Senior Vice President at Citizens Bank, and she's the head of the capital markets part of the bank. She has pipeline managing, pricing, delivery, investor relations, everything that's involved with secondary marketing. So I'm thrilled to have her, and certainly I'm excited to hear her thoughts. So hi, Deb. Hi, how are you? Good. Well, this is an interesting topic, but before we jump into that topic, let's talk a little bit about how you got in mortgage banking and how you got into managing. Share your thoughts. Uh, I can't believe it's been 36 years. I really kind of fell into it from the standpoint of uh, my college internship requirement for my major, economics and business management. So it really gave me uh, kind of a view of the life cycle of the mortgage you know, operations. And then I came back as a trainee. And then other job opportunities really uh, worked well for me going forward to get through the organization. And I went into secondary marketing as part of that journey. I fell in love with it. I thought it was fantastic. So then I went on to work at the RTC during the SNL crisis. I also ended up working for Wall Street at Greenwich Capital. And then I really took a turn into an entrepreneurial role with a partner running a consulting firm. And we did a lot of things to support the industry. And a lot of it was focused on deal structuring, due diligence, capital markets related activities. And then really I I moved forward and back into mainstream mortgage banking and in corporate, you know, mortgage banking because I really wanted to run capital markets. That was my career goal I'd figured out along the way. So I worked with some great leaders and mentors who helped me fill some of the gaps and supported my career. I ended up being chief administrative officer at Charter One Bank and had capital markets and actually some other areas like operations and even sales briefly. So it evolved really to where my focus is mostly capital markets, but I do stay involved in strategic initiatives here at Citizens. We have a fantastic capital markets team that really has contributed much of my success and a great company and culture. So I'm really enjoying my career. So Deb, talk a little bit about, I mean, you've done everything on the secondary marketing side, but your managing standpoint in different positions certainly had groups underneath you. Talk about how you got into that. How did that all happen? I think when I had leaders give me other initiatives that involved a lot of teamwork, I think that, you know, my people skills were apparent in helping to collaborate and work together to achieve results. So, you know, next thing you know, I was given opportunities to manage and, you know, I learned how to delegate. Uh, That was hard sometimes, not being a control over over everything. And I learned how to like enjoy developing people like I was developed. So Mm -hmm. that really gave me a view of managing, you know, from how can we all learn and grow together, achieve results and really teach and learn and distribute the workload. That's uh, that's my view on the managing. 
So when you, Deb, when you think about some of the things that people might miss about managing, what do you think that is? I mean, everybody in mortgage banking, at some point, they all want to be managers, but managing isn't easy, as you know. And so what do you think people miss about it? And when you say miss, are you talking about they miss doing it or things that they miss in the management process? Pat? I think, Deb, I'm talking about that certainly what I experience is that many people within mortgage banking, they all want to move into being a manager. And the part mm-hmm. about what they can miss is that being a manager is a lot more difficult than you think because you're dealing with yeah different people. They're not all like yourself. And is that really kind of your experience? I see where you're going. And I think what they miss maybe is the combination of how do you set expectations for yourself and the team and inspect what you expect to kind of ensure the desired outcomes, like looking at your assumptions, your policies and practices. And then, you know, looking on what, at what's going on around you, what's going on in the industry, being, you know, making sure you're not left behind by not investing some of your management time in anticipating and looking ahead for the future, the competition, you know, constant process improvement. And again, paying attention to your colleagues. How can you develop them and grow them versus everybody coming in and just rushing to get everything done? Because we know we work in a a pretty urgent fashion in this business. Sure. So I think those are some of the things people, you know, may miss in the management process. Right. Yeah. It's much more difficult than people think. When you look back over your 36 years, obviously a long time, or what are some of the things, and you sounded like delegation was one of them, that you've learned over your career, starting out with all those years you've been in the business? Delegating is, is, is key. And then making sure it's just not handing off to somebody who's not ready and how do you stay in tune and develop and, and, and coach them along the way to set them up for success and make sure that, you know, you as the manager are having, you know, the output and, and success that everybody, you know, really wins from the collective effort. So, you know, those are things I think about with that, really trying to, to, to balance how do you move people forward, how do you teach them, but how do you delegate at the same time? to really let go of things so that you can focus as a leader on other things like strategic thinking while some of the folks may be very focused on tactical, but yet keeping them very included in the vision of why are we doing this? The, The hows and the whys of what we're doing is so important. So when you look back, Deb, over all these years, and you've been at many different types of companies and lenders and so forth, what do you think in mortgage banking that managers, in other words, my personal opinion is that sometimes management isn't really valued in mortgage banking. Kind of what's your thoughts on that? Something I hadn't really thought about, but I think it's actually true because I think the nature of our business is so transactional right? that, you know, everybody kind of has to get in. And even we leaders that, you know, whether you're in the first line of, of management as a supervisor, certainly you get more involved in the details. But ironically, as you go higher, you still get very involved. And I'm always amazed sometimes at how involved we get into the detail. There's a customer involved. There's a financial component. And sometimes there's the risk component that makes everybody stop and say, gosh, what happened here? What happened to our customer? Why did we not get the financial results? Or how did this risk occurrence happen? And how do we solve for it? 
So, you know, I think we forget that managers, while they, you know, they manage and they try to drive strategy and achieve initiatives, get them across the goal line, we get very involved in the details. And I think because we get involved in the details quite a bit, I think we sometimes forget we are managers or people forget that we're managing as well. And I do find we get distracted from being able to truly manage. I think that's one of my more frustrating things sometimes is I'd like to to spend more time developing or, or thinking strategically uh, than I do because we, we do get into problem solving. Yeah, that's a great point that you're making, which is actually leads to our topic today. And myself used to be a ex-secondary marketing manager. And so this is a fabulous topic about explaining loan pricing to loan officers, what works and what doesn't. So why don't you talk a little bit about, I guess, the big picture. I know you think that there's two types of loan officers. Why don't you talk about that? Well, I think about all the questions that come our way into the capital markets team from the sales force. And one set of loan officers is, you know, super sophisticated. And that's not disparaging the other group, but it's really the Mm -hmm. way they kind of operate. They think about, you know, their clientele might be super sophisticated and so they invest a lot of time in understanding the market and anticipating, you know, sophisticated questions from their customers about the process or, you know, the, the market, the economy, and how the whole process works. So I find that they spend a lot of time investing and in understanding the process. So they don't reach out to us quite as much. But when they do, it's usually based on some anomaly that, you know, they just could never anticipate you know, mm-hmm. why did uh, the mortgage pricing not follow the direction of the 10-year? Because we all know we price off of the TBA market for the conforming loans. And, and yes, mortgages follow 10-year, but, but not always. So they will ask questions like that, or they'll, they'll really press upon us sometimes when you see the coupon stack kind of compress at the top and, and really diverge at the bottom on the premium and discounts and, and maybe complain about that if they need a customer that needs a uh, higher premium, you know, to pay for closing costs. And, you know, why am I not getting extra value when I go up in another eighth and rate? It starts to compress. So we get some sophisticated questions like that. Yeah, I was going to say, what percentage of in the typical sales force that you see, what percentage fit into being pretty sophisticated? Well, I would say for us, probably 50%. And, and I think sometimes that's where are you doing business? So we do business in some of the large metropolitan cities in our bank footprint, even New York, where there's a lot of wealth customers and we do wealth cross-sell, you know, along with our mortgage. So we have a lot of comprehensive conversations and and that's the type of loan officer. So, you know, I think it depends on the company, your geography and and how city-centric you might be. So what are the the other 50% look like for you, the ones not as sophisticated? What type of questions do you get? What are you always uh, always circling back to? They are really looking for us to be the pulse on the market. The other group, you know, will have a special app. They're following the, the market minute by minute, trying to figure out when they're going to consult with their customer about when to lock. But this group might read something in the marketplace in the morning be you know managing their 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 pipeline during the day and then you know maybe they pick up on a general update in Yahoo Finance but they really mm-hmm. want to know gee what's happening so we get phone calls what is the mortgage market doing and you know should I should I float continue to float or or float my my new app or should I lock it 
you know, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow? So we do a lot of market commentary to kind of help coach them along. And, you know, a lot of times too, to be honest, we, you know, do spend more time kind of reminding them of our policies and procedures. If a customer has to make a product change, you know, is it, you know, the same pricing or is it, you know, worst case pricing, you know, a variety of policies and things that may happen or extensions. I need a one day extension. You know, can I be, can I get it for free and not pay or, you know, things like that. So it's really some, a little bit more reactionary. Um, things like, hey, look at this marketing piece from so-and-so bank. They're a whole, you know, half a percent slower in rate. How can that be? And we may have to look at the fine print for them and say, hey, look, they're embedding a one-point origination fee and you're looking at our this quote on the rate sheet. So, you know, a lot of it is really calling their attention out to things that they're reacting to. They sometimes can be a little bit more emotional about it just because, you know, situations happen to them and Mm -hmm. they pull up and try to problem solve with us. So Deb, it's typically the way you've seen it work best. In other words, are the originators coming to the capital markets or are they going to sales leadership first? In other words, are you just a direct phone call away from the originators or or how do you think it should operate? That I can definitely explain, you know, what has worked and what hasn't because sure. I think originally they we had a culture that would let them come directly to us. And that's hard. That's a, a capacity, you know, issue when we're trying to do other things. Plus we found that it was more helpful if we could get their sales leaders to to really help them because then they're constantly coaching and helping set expectations with customers. But the other thing we did is we decided to be more transparent in how we price, more transparent in our policies, and and trying to explain it with tools. When they onboard, we do a lot of training and try to anticipate their questions. We give them, you know, frequently asked questions. We review the policies, and you know, we give them tools. We even have a loan economics tool. And we used to take the price exception requests directly into secondary. And that was hard because sure. then when they didn't like the answer, you know, they would, <laughs> we would really spend a lot of time going back and forth. Now we've put it in the sales organization, but you have to be careful about that. Sure. You have to make sure you have the right sales culture and leadership. You have to have good compliance controls about that and guardrails. And so we give them a loan economics tool that kind of shows them, gosh, this loan doesn't have as much room to move because maybe it's a lower loan amount or the SRP is low on it. It's in a fast prepay state. And they see a little bit more transparency about their deal. And then they work with their sales leader and our sales compliance team, which is centralized, to try to manage you know, fair lending and controls there. And that is really ended up working out really well. It was trial and error, no question, but it's been a good balance. Did you develop this loan uh, translator that you're doing, the loan pricing component of it? Was that something internally developed or was that something where that you purchased an outside system that would help the loan officer? We developed it internally. Okay. Yeah, we just basically listed out, you know, the the rate and we have we have protected you know fields where they can't change things and then we have inputs where they can you know make adjustments you know such as discounting the pricing to take the price exception to compete and you know there's rules about how they can do that and how much they can do it and all that but but they can play with it and 
figure out, you know, what what can they maybe sell, right? Gosh, if I give a price exception by this much, you should be able to sell around rate, right? They say they can, um, right. but sometimes that it just may be a harder conversation depending on how much you can compete to. Let's say Bank America is out on the street clearly at a better rate than we are based on surveys or information they can see, and they still want to try to get that loan in the door, and sometimes price has to be part of that equation. So that tool it's homegrown and it's very user friendly. Um, we don't show them every, you know, it's sure. pricing is complex, so we don't show them every detail, but we show them the high level pieces that make up the revenue and then, you know, the expense of their commission. And so it looks at kind of a high level profitability to give them a guidepost. Well, that's certainly a smart thing to do. It does remind me, I remember that Countrywide used to do a system where they had where if you wanted a pricing exception, that you had to go through a training course before they would actually give it to you. And so, because they tended to find that the people that kept asking for pricing exceptions were didn't really understand how it worked. And so, again, they always feel that well, the company should take a loss and not the loan officers. So looking at this over all the years that you've done this, what would you suggest to our listeners today that would be some of the takeaways to ensure that loan officers are up to speed on pricing and how it all works? I would say, you know, we're in mortgage banking to help customers get homes and we want good customer experience and we want a good colleague experience. And I think we all have to think about that, every one of us in a mortgage company. So if we can invest our time to help other colleagues with training tools, and you know, sometimes you're gonna have folks that you know just really won't invest that time, but the majority of them will. If you help them learn, give them the tools, tell them the why to the what, this is the rate lock and at a high level, this is how it works with the secondary market. You know, we're locking in with investors. And we need to commit to that and we're committing to your borrower. Some of those simple concepts that you can explain kind of make the light bulb go off. And it's great because it helps them even answer questions if you have an inquisitive customer. So I think the investment in finding a way to help make it easier really can reduce tension and make it a better experience for everybody. Well, I think it's really smart that you included in the onboarding. I think that's really a smart takeaway that I think everyone listening should really think about because I think that's it, it has to start with them understanding that. And even if they've obviously have come from another lender, every lender is different in how they approach it. Wouldn't you agree? That's exactly right, the nuances. And if you start out, you know, clean and fresh up front, then you have less room for mistake and disappointment from the colleague or the customer and, and that's it, you know, start out with that and then, you know, continue to support them if they have questions. They're not going to absorb it all up front, but we really do have a good relationship that I've seen of all the years I've been in the business. This is the best it's been with, with helping out sales and sales pulling their weight and being accountable and, and making an effort to really try to work together to understand sometimes these complex concepts or policies. Sure. Well, this has been terrific and time has flown by. And so I want to thank you, Deb, for sharing your thoughts. And I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. We certainly appreciate you spending some time with us. If you want more tips on managing in between our episodes, you know, follow me on LinkedIn and sign up for our weekly sales blog at patsherlock.com. Thanks so much, Deb. Thank you.